Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm a host of New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm speaking with Svetlana Bedreva, editor of Contemporary Ukrainian and Baltic Art, Political and Social Perspectives, 1991-2021. The volume was published by Ibidem Ferlak in 2021. Svetlana Bedreva studied history of art and semiotics in London and Tartu. She has held teaching positions at the University of Americas in Puebla and um, Ibero-American University in Mexico City. She also taught at uh, Cotwood Institute of Art in London. Her previous books include At the Frontline, Ukrainian Art 2013-2019, which was published in 2020. Uh, Svetlana has also published in uh, multiple outlets, uh, and uh, specifically in Space and Culture and Art margins online. Hello, Svetlana, and thank you so much for joining me today. Hello, Natalia. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a great pleasure. So congratulations on this volume. And um, uh, it's quite an intriguing uh, volume, I should say, not only in terms of the chronology, but in terms of the geography as well. So the chronological range of the collection is from the 1990s and through 2020s. Not only is it broad, but um, it's also uh, diverse taking into consideration the events that took place in the 1990s, which could be described in terms of some profound paradigmatic shifts. And the subsequent years entailed a number of other events of different nature. So in terms of geography, uh, the uh, collection also includes different, but at the same time, similar entities as it was already mentioned, Ukraine and the Baltic state, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. And um, uh, this putting together Ukraine and the Baltic states in art exploration uh, is quite intriguing. Uh, could you comment on the geography of this collection that you edited? Uh, the, the selection of, uh, of uh, the countries to, to focus on in this volume was inspired by the idea to uh, compare the development of uh, art in the territory of post-socialist states and uh, after the independence of this country. So my idea was to see if art took uh, different directions, which similarities, which which differences we can record, and how artists interpret contemporary political and social situation in these countries. the point of departure was uh, 1991, 
as the dissolution of uh, the Soviet Union. And uh, first, uh, it presented some kind of a challenge because uh, the idea uh, behind this uh, uh, behind this book was that after the independence, uh, art started to be kind of localized. Following this idea of uh, Peter Petrovsky of horizontal art history, that every space, every region, and every country develops uh, its own uh, art scene, and these art scenes can be compared, but they cannot uh, follow this kind of vertical uh, kind of uh, uh, relation uh, that uh, inevitably emerges as postcolonial relation. So uh, the point was to depart from this post-colonial uh, and to see how art in Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, and Ukraine uh, develop independently. Uh, that's why, for example, uh, it was decided to publish this book uh, in, uh, uh, in, in the series uh, Ukrainian Voices, because it, uh, rather than in the series of uh, post, uh, post socialist and post-socialist uh, uh, politics and society that is also proposed by Ibn Press, uh, kind of to focus on the contemporary elaboration of, of art scenes in these countries. Uh, however, uh, when I started speaking with the authors, uh, it revealed that the topics of uh, contemporary uh, crisis, of contemporary challenges, are inevitably rooted in such topics as identity, such topics as memory, as uh, history, negation of the history or acceptance, uh, uprootedness, um, language. And this is something that uh, unites uh, the territories and unites the artistic expressions in the, all the four countries that are mentioned in the, in the volume. Uh, so uh, I, I think uh, with, the, with, the kind of, with the beginning of the start, with the beginning of the work on this volume, uh, uh, the focus somehow started changing. And it's very nice because also there was a dialogue between uh, the authors. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think we managed to produce certain discussion. Uh, I think I need to, to mention uh, uh, actually the authors <laughs> mm -hmm. of the book. Uh, uh, I'm very thankful really for their participation because uh, we managed to uh, create this diverse forum of uh, professionals in uh, art curation, art history, who could uh, discuss um, uh, these particular issues in a very advanced level of, uh, uh, and from a very critical point of view. Uh, so uh, uh, I'm very thankful to Elena Martinuk, uh, Jessica Zihovic, uh, Katerina Botanova, Without us, Michilkevichus and uh, Lina Michilkevich, uh, Margaret Tali and uh, Eva Astahovska for their participation. And uh, they wrote um, some, uh, some, some, some texts that are directly connected to their practice, either as art historians or as art curators. And I hope to expand on, on their contributions uh, during this interview. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would like to uh, go back to this idea that you mentioned that uh, your focus on Ukraine and the Baltic states was to some extent driven by this uh, uh, interest in post-socialist um, uh, territories or areas as well as post-colonial uh, um, uh, approach to um, uh, to these uh, to these regions and to these areas. And uh, you did mention that there are some similarities, specifically in terms of identity. Uh, because all these regions that uh, are mentioned in this volume, uh, they were undergoing and probably are still undergoing some profound changes in this identity uh, construction. Uh, but uh, I'm wondering to what extent uh, these areas are different because we can speak about identity formation or identity construction in Ukraine, uh, and the same concept can be applied to the Baltic states. Uh, but still, uh, well, probably some different um, uh, some different aspects are involved, and maybe uh, some um, uh, aspects are uh, approached differently in terms of identity formation and uh, identity construction in Ukraine when compared to the Baltic states, or vice versa, in Baltic states when compared to Ukraine. So would you would you comment a little bit on these differences, maybe, or divergences? Well, it's, it's quite a complex question, because, of course, we cannot compare so directly. It was the main uh, difficulty of the book, that uh, kind of making direct parallels is sometimes impossible, because a situation may vary. Maybe insignificantly, but it, it doesn't allow this kind of very direct parallelism. Uh, but uh, uh, for, for for example, uh, if if we speak uh, about uh, uh, the text of Yeva uh, Stachowska, uh, who was uh, attempting to map transformations from this post-socialist uh, society in Latvia to uh, in, in Latvia and the Baltic uh, countries. Uh, to the capitalist structure already emerging uh, inside of the uh, European Union. Uh, she claims that, uh, but, uh, that the, it's, 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 it's impossible uh, to, uh, uh, to present all the three scenes as uh, uh, some kind of uh, very different scenes. Mm-hmm. Terms that at the end all this inheritance of from uh, from the Soviet past and all this memory and all this uh, relation inside. This, uh, now I speak about this, the three Baltic countries: Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. They uh, all this exchange, even despite some kind of discrepancy between the language, for example, uh, they uh, produce a very similar image that enables now the artistic exchange inside the region. Uh, and uh, for example. Margaret Tully, uh, in her text about uh, a relation to the post-Second World War past in the contemporary art, uh, she, uh, um, she, she argues that uh, the influence of these totalitarian regimes in, uh, in the territory of the Baltic countries uh, produced the situation of uh, what she calls a Demnikov's uh, dog. She refers to the work of uh, an uh, Estonian artist, Anastasia Sosunova, who uh, presented uh, some kind of a duality of a dog with a kind of uh, a, a strange monster who has uh, two heads that, that do not allow him to uh, kind of to live, to function. 
uh, fully. And uh, in this uh, project, the artist and uh, and uh, the, and uh, Margaret, uh, she they referred uh, to uh, the situation of uh, presence of uh, Russian community in uh, Estonia. So uh, uh, and this linguistic difficulty that emerges from this extension. Uh, if we look through the lens of all these uh, post-colonial uh, interpretations, and if we think about uh, all this hybridity inside of uh, uh, Baltic societies and inside of Ukrainian society, we might find some uh, some connections. Mm -hmm. Of course, in in Ukraine, this uh, uh, this situation of uh, hybridity and it's um, probably quite negative uh, consequences. Uh, it uh, it uh, pre uh, represented itself, it pre manifested itself in a much more uh, difficult way with, uh, with uh, the war with Russia, with the annexation of Crimea. Uh, but it was uh, uh, like the, the outcome of the same tensions that are present also in the Baltic society. But all of this, they referred precisely to the memory polit politics. They referred to uh, anti-colonial, post-colonial, and decolonial points of view on uh, uh, history and the ways of interpretation in art. Mm -hmm. So, and um, uh, there is uh, this juxtaposition of the national, local, and transnational and global in the connection as well. So, how does this juxtaposition informs the art in Ukraine and the Baltic states, and how does it um, shape uh, the art in in these areas? It's, it's a very good question uh, because here I think the situation is different because. Uh, in, uh, in Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, the uh, space for art creation is basically European space. So already uh, the contemporary discourse then turns to critique of this presence inside of the European space and the relation to, the, to, to or belonging to this the, uh, Central Europe, Western Europe uh, trend, uh, uh, the art trends of. Uh, because uh, also we cannot speak of uh, kind of this unity of European space and production of art. Uh, and in case of Ukraine, uh, the focus is more on transformation of the art scene in order to relate to some phenomena that uh, they are beyond the border. Uh, and of course, to reflect on the ongoing events inside the country. And uh, uh, for example, uh, Katerina Batanova, in her text, she uh, proposes this very useful notion of uh, artist as a virus, who uh, is not allowed directly to the system because the system probably is uh, quite uh, quite dysfunctional in some points. Well, she speaks about 90s um, mostly uh, because the institutional system is bulky and it doesn't uh, permit the change. So the artist needs to infect the system in, in order to produce these revolutionary changes outside of it. So it's basically countercultural art, but something that is uh, inserted inside, inside the system. And uh, I think uh, this, is, this uh, precise example is uh, something that remarks very well the orientation of Ukrainian art until now. That artist is in constant uh, uh, fight, or not fight, but 
kind of struggle with with the, with the institutional system. And uh, in uh, in and this is a very particular for Ukraine. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the that's where all this kind of trans um, uh, transcultural uh, all this um, uh, historical and uh, post-colonial concerns emerge because uh, uh, the point of orientation in, in, in case of uh, Ukraine is kind of more uh, more localized as precisely this uh, horizontal history that uh, Petrovsky mentioned. Uh, and uh, to link it to the Baltic uh, situation uh, is to link it through these numerous connections that are not sometimes very evident. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to follow up on this idea about um, the uh, artist um, vi- uh, virus image. Um, and um, in our pre-postmodern uh, discussions, let's put it this way, there was some sort of uh, idealized and romanticized image about the artist who somehow changes or constructs the universe. But uh, in postmodern discussions, we were informed about the death of the author. Uh, and I thought, uh, and it profoundly changes the way the artist is perceived. Uh, and I'm wondering what's this uh, role of the artist in Ukraine uh, today? Uh, is it presented as uh, um, as as someone who um, somehow can change the perception of the um, of the of the environment, or maybe this image is less idealized and less romanticized? today, uh, specifically either in Ukraine or in the Baltic states? I think, again, it's rooted in uh, in, in, in the discussion of uh, the division uh, of uh, unofficial and official art in uh, before the fall of the Iron mm-hmm. Curtain and uh, how the dissident artists were seen as uh, political, political artists. And the notion of pure art was reserved for all this inert, Soviet uh, official art, mm-hmm. like decorative art, and uh, conversely, on um, in, in in the West, in in, in Western Europe, and uh, for example, in, in the United States, uh, pure art was seen at many cases as some kind of revolutionary art, as the art of counterculture, uh, and I think this um, uh, this heritage. Is still present in, in Ukrainian art because uh, I think uh, that uh, the number of topics that relate to either social conditions or to political situation uh, they are uh, predominant in uh, Ukrainian art scene and this is actually something that is expected from from Ukrainian art scene. The Ukrainian artists will speak about political situation and. Um, uh, I think this is some kind of uh, flashback to 30 years at least ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, maybe at some point when uh, the market, uh, the art market establishes, when the uh, institutional system of uh, both public museums, like Museum of Contemporary Art emerges finally, or uh, when uh, some system of uh, private galleries will emerge 
kind of clearly and it will be sustainable in this way, then maybe there will be a reconsideration of this notion. Uh, but uh, at this moment, it's very difficult to, to, to speak about it. Uh, and I think this is quite a particular situation also for, for the Baltic countries. Even though, of course, the processes of uh, institutionalization and the change of focus, there are, I would say, like much more advanced, if, if it's possible to say advanced, or kind of further already from this post-totalitarian feeling. Uh, but I think this is uh, also something that uh, kind of makes a portrait of uh, of artists, both in Ukraine and in, in Baltics. This eternal necessity of resistance to some kind of political mm -hmm. political situation or political crisis or political challenges. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and the uh, collection itself asks us to establish some dialogue uh, with the Soviet times and uh, uh, there are pieces that touch upon the uh, Soviet times uh, in this way or another way. Uh, and I'm wondering how this engagement with the Soviet past uh, is different or similar uh, in Ukraine and in the Baltic states. Usually the Soviet times um, uh, offer this profound amount of difficult uh, issues uh, to engage with. And uh, some uh, describe the Soviet past as difficult. Some describe it as uh, troubled. Uh, some describe it as contested. Uh, but um, uh, we, we can probably agree on one point that uh, it has a tremendous amount of issues that ask for some uh, um, uh, processing, but how this past is processed uh, is different from probably uh, area to uh, area. And um, I uh, wanted to uh, speak a little bit about how this Soviet past is integrated uh, in the art in Ukraine and in the uh, Baltic states specifically, and how it is reworked so that it is part of our legacy, but at the same time, while being part of our legacy, it can also uh, trigger some uh, responses. At times it's negative, at times it's positive, but at times it's also a lot of silence. And I think this art of in the 90s and in uh, 2020 probably, this, uh, th this art somehow asks us to engage with this difficult past. So um, how, do you, how do artists approach the uh, Soviet past and to what end, with what, uh, with what uh, message or with what solution in mind? Uh, if, if, if you think, for example, about the project of uh, Estonian artist Christina Norman, uh, that she presented at the Venice Biennale, uh, the project was called After War, and uh, Eva Stachowska mentioned this uh, project in her text. Uh, there was this controversy about uh, the, the Statue of Bronze Soldier in Tallinn, that uh, for uh, those people who installed it in the Soviet time, it meant uh, some kind of uh, the sign of victory. And uh, at the same time, for Estonians in contemporary times, it was already like was a symbol of oppression from, from, the, from the Soviet state. So uh, this uh, statue was removed and uh, it, uh, it provoked the composition of uh, Russian community mm. in, uh, in Thailand, which is a significant number of people. And they thought that this kind of uh, it invades their kind of 
right for the memory and commemoration. And uh, Christina Norman then uh, recreated the replica of this bronze soldier that she reinstalled in the public space. And then she recorded the, uh, the reactions of the people in this way to provoking again the discussion of uh, uh, the right for commemoration and the right of, uh, of oblivion also. And, uh, and I think it's kind of a very interesting uh, critical project that uh, also can be reflected in, in many examples of uh, Ukrainian art. Uh, for example, well, we, we, we can think, uh, for, for example, about this uh, fam famous project of Nikita Kadan, uh, of this postament, mm -hmm. the pedestal, or which pushes out, which is taking all all the room uh, and pushes out basically something that needs to stand on it, like the commemoration as the main practice and as a totalitarian practice. Mm -hmm. uh, or, for example, we can think about uh, uh, reflections of a contemporary uh, photographer, Yevgeny uh, Nikiforov, on the decommunization practices in Ukraine. Uh, where he traveled uh, after the laws of decommunization were uh, accepted. In 2015, he traveled in, uh, in all the territory of Ukraine and was documenting um, the monuments. He were either in the process of demolition or they were reworked uh, to contain different, uh, uh, more kind of Ukraine, pro-Ukrainian symbolism, or they were removed and hidden somewhere in the barn, and uh, in, in, in this way, he, he also tried to foster this discussion of uh, the right to uh, to remember and the right uh, to forget, which which memories we need to keep, and uh, what what is considered also the work of art, and the works uh, that belong to totalitarian regimes, can they be considered artworks, and should they be kept, actually, and reinterpreted in some way, Critically interpreted. So uh, I I I uh, I think that also this uh, makes this uh, connection uh, of the necessity of permanently return to the uh, traumatic memories mm -hmm. and see how uh, how these memories actually change our mm -hmm. contemporaneity mm -hmm. and how they form the art mm -hmm. uh, seen in in this moment and. Uh, Actually, there was also a research project in Estonia by Gregor Taul, who is, a, who is, a, who is a, an art historian, and he documented uh, monumental um, uh, monumental works, uh, like murals, monumental murals and mosaics, and also stained glass uh, in different parts of Estonia, and then he published a book. And uh, uh, But this kind of work was, let's say, uh, with the intention of rather recollecting than critically reassessing. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a bit different project as mm -hmm. uh, the project of Nikifa, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, by going back to traumatic pasts, artists in some way uh, work through the uh, some some uh, traumatic experiences uh, as you mentioned um as you mentioned uh, artists bring traumatic pasts to um their works and i'm wondering to what end do they uh, bring this uh, traumatic past what would they like to engage with yes by bringing 
traumas back into the present, um, we engage with those experiences again. But uh, at the same time, there is some healing process maybe, or there is some uh, process of working through traumas in order to somehow um, engage with these traumas in a more effective and more productive way, not just for traumatizing uh, oneself again by engaging with these uh, tragic uh, events. Uh, yes, yes, sure. Uh, I, I uh, actually art is uh, precisely this instrument of working with the past and processing mm -hmm. it and reinterpreting it. So this is the very process of working with uh, past and art is a process of uh, in a way healing with traumas. So I, I think this is completely true. And not only speaking about uh, Soviet traumas, but mm -hmm. uh, speaking about uh, also contemporary traumas. For example, my text uh, in um, in this volume, it focuses on documentary term in uh, Ukrainian art. And uh, I actually propose that uh, uh, in the recent uh, eight years, after all the events started with the Maidan uh, protests, with uh, the war with Russia and with uh, the annexation of Crimea, there was a necessity somehow to document the reality. But this do documentation of reality needed to be also uh, critical. Mm -hmm. and critical reinterpretation of it. So it's like, you know, like merging to two impossible tasks, uh, to document it objectively and to, at the same time, to, mm -hmm. to work with it, mm -hmm. in a way, to, mm -hmm. to kind of incorporate this, uh, this understanding. And uh, that's how uh, many of works of documentary art emerged in, in, in Ukraine, between the film uh, Few filmmakers who work with uh, different short films, uh, between media art, uh, photography, uh, something that uh, is called to create this narrative that is actually a chronicle of the events, mm -hmm. but also then to take further this chronicle to the to the public or to the audience to discuss and to uh, to kind of to find. The, if not a solution, of course, art doesn't propose solutions, but some kind of vision of uh, what's going on and how to how how to deal with it, how to accept it in terms of displacement or the stories of uh, of shellings in in the east of Ukraine and and, and so on and kind of personal trauma, uh, traumatic uh, biographies of people who are reflected in, in this project. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a very interesting comment that you made about this documentary uh, way of dealing with the uh, current events, uh, which made me think about um, Volodymyr Venichenko's uh, comments that he made concerning the um, events of 1917. And in his letters, he mentioned that I can't think imaginatively right now. I can't write imaginatively, uh, imagin imaginatively right now. All I can do is just to describe what I see. And I think, yes, as, as you pointed out, there is some traumatic experience here and it takes time to deal with it and it takes time to process it and it takes time to put it in some uh, imaginative space. Uh, but this very uh, maybe raw uh, way of dealing with it does take this objective documenting or this objective chronology if possible. But of course, it will also be, always be somehow um, percepted, uh, perceived uh, through um, 
through the um, uh, individual, right, through the individual lens as well. But it's 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 very. I, I thought that um, uh, it's very interesting to think this way about just documenting things the way they are, and it also establishes different parallels between different um, uh, historical periods. But still, it as as we as we see, it reveals some similarities. Um, uh, the collection also mentions the notion of freedom, and it's a common trope that artists regain some freedom after the fall of the Iron Curtain. Uh, how do you conceptualize this freedom of the Soviet artists who found themselves in independent countries overnight? So is it is it freedom, or can we say that artists somehow regained freedom after the collapse of the um, Iron Curtain. is uh, is an interesting question because uh, the definitions of freedom, I think, in different texts uh, collected in this volume, they are very different. And uh, for example, Elena Martinuk and her text uh, about late Perestroika art, she she sees this change to freedom as uh, some kind of apocalyptic, mm -hmm. uh, uh, some kind of eschatological event. And uh, it's, it's quite interesting is uh, that actually the end of the times uh, the, or the end of history, yes, if you use this Fukuyama's notion, it actually turned to uh, some kind of new turn for Ukrainian art that started anew, uh, supposedly, after the, after the fall of, uh, of the Soviet Union. However, of course, uh, we, we, we see that this... Uh, and even Elena presents this in her in her text that uh, this uh, apocalyptic visions they actually continued through uh, through 90s and kind of through this process of transformation because of course there was no kind of rapid uh, change and no instant revolution in 1991 and uh, uh, I, yes I, I I think this this freedom in in different in different contexts even inside the same country. Uh, such as Ukraine, it undertook uh, different uh, uh, ways and different versions. And uh, for example, we, we can speak about the uh, a very rapid emergence of media art in uh, early 1990s. But of course, we link it to the development also back to 80s. And uh, uh, but of course, uh, in context of Soviet Union, it would be difficult to develop this mm -hmm. uh, this fully. Or, uh, for for example, um, uh, uh, for example, uh, I, I can I can speak about. Uh, I would like to mention the text of uh, Jessica uh, Zakhovich, who speaks about uh, feminism in Ukrainian art in contemporary Ukrainian art, and how this perception of uh, uh, woman of a female artist uh, of uh, a female artist who in a way opposes. Uh, subverts the system, tries to change the system. How it became very prominent, precisely in in the in the latest decades. Mm -hmm. So this this also is part of uh, this idea of uh, artistic freedom uh, that uh, is actually linked to the transformation inside the traditional society and perhaps uh, some kind of change in the societal structure mm -hmm. that, that leads to to this uh, liberation uh, and. Uh, and, and and so and so on. We can we can we can think I think about different aspects of this of the social that are linked to different aspects of the artistic. Mm -hmm. 
So there are different approaches to this concept of freedom, and we can fragmentize freedom as well, and uh, uh, it will open up different perspectives on um, what we consider uh, freedom and what we consider uh, as artists who's free or um, who liberated, right? Um, I'm wondering if you have a chance to uh, teach uh, either Ukrainian culture to your students or um, you have a chance to combine uh, Ukrainian culture and um, the culture of uh, Baltic states in your teachings and what's the response of your students? Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm currently in um, I'm currently in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So uh, just recently I opened a course uh, mm -hmm. about uh, East, East Central Europe and uh, the history of conflicts in East Central Europe uh, in the uh, 20th century. Mm -hmm. And it's quite interesting to actually to present and uh, to interact with uh, Mexican students, Mexican and uh, students from uh, other countries of Latin mm -hmm. America, in their visions of uh, all these turbulences of the 20th century history, mm -hmm. and this uh, this vision sometimes they're very different from uh, what is kind of seen and accepted in in, in Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because of course, uh, if we if we uh, think about, uh, for example, as uh, um, as Vitaly Chernyevsky called Ukraine uh, post-colonial in the Second World, mm -hmm. uh, Mexico was. Uh, is post-colonial in the third world. Mm -hmm. So uh, at the end is uh, like you know like oh, different lens and different critical approaches. Mm -hmm. Third world in the, in the terms of uh, this divisions back into the Cold War when there was this uh, first world of uh, of the United States and uh, the Soviet Union, the second and the Soviet bloc, and the third world was supposedly neutral. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of uh, I see how this. Historical neutrality also uh, makes effects in in the visions of uh, contemporary situation because, uh, of course, uh, the, pers the perspective is uh, sometimes uh, kind of very interesting to discuss in terms of uh, taking different positions and sometimes it goes into some kind of argument. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, uh, what are those areas which receive a lot of um, students' response? Um, when you uh, cover some specific topics uh, in um, Central East European uh, context? Uh, I, I would like to mention an exhibition that uh, I co-curated here in Mexico City in 2019, mm -hmm. and it was an exhibition about uh, Ukrainian war. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called at the front line, Ukrainian art, 2013-2019. And we presented works by different uh, Ukrainian artists, uh, such as Evgenia uh, Belarusis, Mkola Ridney, uh, and um, many others who focused uh, precisely on uh, on the displaying the events of the Maidan uh, mm -hmm. and the war. And uh, there was a program, a parallel program at uh, here at the Museum of Memory and Tolerance, which was dedicated to discussion of uh, these events in Ukraine and presenting uh, the, the crisis and also discussing this topic of violence and uh, displacement. And we found a big, big uh, response uh, from uh, the audience mm -hmm. during these discussions because uh, actually they started making kind of 
parallels both to historical events in Mexico in 1968 when there was there were student protests that were violently suppressed by the government and there were 300 students killed uh, mm. in, in Mexico City and uh, also to the um, topics of uh, uh, gun uh, of all this kind of drug related violence in, uh, in in the north of Mexico. And uh, I remember there was one woman who, after one of the panels, she approached me and she, she started telling her story how she she was hiding, well, when she was in some town in Sinaloa, uh, she was hiding under the table of her office because there was a shooting outside. Mm-hmm. And after the shooting became kind of a routine, not was not an isolated case, she, she decided she needed to, to run to, to Mexico City. Mm-hmm. So the stories of displacement, they make kind of also a connection to, uh, to in many cases to to local to local mm-hmm. audiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like yeah, how this. Yeah, I like I like how this episode really shows how local can become global, and how um, we can connect local experiences to more universal, probably, and more global issues. And this is a very neat way, I would say, uh, to connect not just different individuals, but different political entities and different cultural entities, so that there is this global conversation and global dialogue. You know, when um, our experiences are not just linked to some specific local space, so it's a very it's a very nice way to to look at it. Mm-hmm. That's actually the the direction that I want to develop because uh, I am uh, originally specializing in Latin American and Eastern European art. So uh, to link these two worlds is quite difficult. Uh, for this, uh, there is a big need in. Uh, methodology mm-hmm. or, or, or of uh, a comparative methodology in the history of art and uh, there are a few books uh, really few published on uh, uh, on comparativism in art history and I think this is a very interesting and this is a very important niche that needs to be developed because uh, through different notions and through different historic and political perspectives we can uh, also make a link between uh, different artistic practices mm-hmm. it, it, it shouldn't be necessarily direct artistic exchange it can be even uh, a kind of comparison based on uh, some kind of survey of, uh, of notions that are common for this region and and other region mm-hmm. and as I think given how globalized art is becoming, uh, in the latest years, and with all these big art fairs uh, and uh, biennales that emerge worldwide, and they precisely try to make this uh, local histories uh, contextualized into the global in the global context. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, that's precisely my kind of my big interest in uh, in in art research. Well, uh, thank you so much, Svetlana. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for this collection that opens up new perspectives on art and new perspectives on the uh, areas and regions where uh, this art is uh, performed. Thank you so much for the interview. Big pleasure. Uh, today I spoke with Svetlana Bedreva, uh, editor of Contemporary Ukrainian and Baltic Art, Political and Social Perspectives, 1991-2021. Uh, the collection was published by Ibidem Ferlak in 2021. Uh, thank you for listening to New Books in East European Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network.